you turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Colossians? The book of Colossians and chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we will read together verses 1 through 13, or I'm sorry, we will read uh, 13 through 20. Our sermon text will be the second portion of Colossians 1.17. But let us hear together and heed God's word as it is read once again. Colossians chapter 1, reading verses 13 through 20. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the church, or the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might Have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Do we not know that the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall last and endure forever? Let us pray briefly for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Our Father, we bow before you once again, asking that we would worship you by having Christ extolled in all of his glory. Help us to this end, Holy Spirit, as we would seek to submit ourselves to the word. And we pray, open mine eyes to wondrous things of thy law. Lord, bless those who hear the word. Bless the preacher of the word. And most of all, blessed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, receive all glory and strength, for they belong to you alone through Jesus Christ. Amen. Here again the words of the text of our sermon, Colossians 1.17 in the, the second portion, By him all things consist. That is, by Christ all things consist. They are held together. Let us never forget that worship, that preaching is an element of worship. That it is in hearing the word of God preached that the preacher and the congregation together are to extol the glories of God. To truly worship him as we were called to this morning in the beauty of holiness. And here we have a section of scripture which truly brings us to the heavenly places in which Christ is seated and in which we have been seated with him. To see that in Christ, not only only were all things created by him, but all things are held together by him. 
That in Christ all things consist not only because He is true and very God, but to see today particularly because He is Christ. Because He is the mediator. And that it is the mediatorial King who upholds all things. That in Christ all things consist. And so we'll seek to understand this morning This doctrine in two headings. The first is creation's total dependence on Christ. And secondly, the purpose for which Christ upholds all things. But first we need to see creation's total dependence upon Christ. What is meant by the words, by him all things consist? Well, it means that in Jesus Christ, all things, As we were told, just as he created all things that are in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, whatever they may be, all things are held together, as the word signifies. They are held together lest they fall apart. This is not an understatement that the entire cosmos would literally dissolve if it were not for the will of God and the work of the risen, ascended, and seated Christ. One of the church fathers, Athanasius, puts it this way, lest creation should come to dissolution, lest the universe should be broken up again into nothingness. For this cause, God made all things by His eternal word, and moreover did not leave it to be tossed in a tempest, in the course of its own nature, lest it should run the risk of once more dropping out of existence. But because he is good, he guides and settles the whole creation by his own word, who is himself God. All things are held together by this eternal word, by this Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. In the account of creation where God creates the heavens and the earth and all that that is therein in the space of six days, out of nothing by his own word, we see that there in Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We see this in in, uh, Psalm 104, as we would sing at the end of Psalm 104. The Spirit held everything together, so too the Son. Why? Because God is simple. God is not made up of parts. Whatever it is best to be, that God is, says Anselm. It is, if we are made up of parts, and your parts are, get tired and they fall fall apart. God is not so. He is in Himself, of Himself, through Himself, by Himself. He is the I Am that I Am. He exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, equal in glory, substance, power, eternity, all of these things. God is simple. And so we have set before us the inseparable operations of the triune God. The Father is the creator. The Son is the creator. The Spirit is the creator. Not because there's three creators, but because there's one God. And that the Son has taken upon himself our own nature. 
And so it is there the Son, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who upholds all things. In Christ, all things consist because He is the Creator. We must not forget that in this person of Jesus Christ, there are two whole and distinct natures without conversion, confusion, or composition. He is true and very God. He is true and very man. He is God manifested in the flesh. So that Paul says, this is the mystery of godliness. Why though can we speak of Jesus Christ who is, who is clearly spoken of here in this text in, in Colossians 1? Why is it that we speak of Jesus Christ, the God-man, as the, cre- as the creator? When the human nature of Christ did not exist, the body and soul of our Christ until the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and the Son became incarnate at conception. Why is this spoken of Christ? Why is this true of Christ? It is because while the two natures of Christ are distinct, the person is whole. There's one person. What is true, therefore, of one nature, God the Son, the eternal Word, is true of the whole person of Christ. Christ is God. Christ is before all things because he is true and very God. And Christ upholds all things now because not only is he the true and very God, but because he is the God-man, as we shall see in a moment. Hebrews 1 through 3 tells us that God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This is speaking of Christ, the God-man, the mediator, the word made flesh. This eternal son, this eternally begotten of the father, begotten and not made, this god has taken upon himself our nature and he speaks to us, he reveals himself to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And that it is this God-man who upholds all things, not merely because, not because, only because he is God, but because he is Christ. Because he is the mediator. It is spoken of here in Hebrews 1. It is spoken of here in Colossians 1. And in Acts 17. That it is Christ in his resurrection and ascension. And in his session. His being seated at the right hand of the Father. That it is in this work of mediator. As mediator he sustains all things. It is in him we live and move and have our being. This very one who died for sinners and was risen on the third day, and will return to judge all things. This Christ upholds all things. All things consist by him, are held together by him, so that without his will and his work, they would all dissolve into nothing. And what is meant by all things? This is not hyperbole. We see earlier, he created all things, so he 
sustains all things. The heavens. Christ upholds the heavens. Heaven itself is a creature. It is created by God. All of the angels are created by God. The stars and the great expanse of the heavens are creatures sustained by the Almighty Christ. The earth. Everything upon this earth is governed and upheld by the eternal word made flesh. Every microbe and manatee, every hurricane and human, every germ and giraffe, every electron and elephant, every butterfly and bison, every flood and every famine, every snow and summer, by Christ all things consist. Even hell itself is sustained and governed by the Lord Christ. Revelation 14, 9 says, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his head, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. All things held together and governed by Christ. Oh dear saint, this reproves so many sins that we are wont to commit. How we should loathe our sin and see it set before us when we consider that it is by Christ all things consist. This is this great sin of our day. And not only of our day, but has been in every day. And that is practical atheism. When we live, though we confess God is, is God, we believe, we have faith like Hebrews 11 that says we believe that God is and that He created all things out of nothing. We believe these things, but we, ex- we live as if God did not exist. We give no thought to Him. We do not act as if he exists and he will judge us that we live before his face. We may give service to him with our words, but our hearts and our deeds are far from him. Not only practical atheism, but dear Christian, there is a very serious sin among Reformed Christians even of practical deism. Deism is that that horrible doctrine of demons where they think that, okay, God created all things, but he wound it up like a clock and then he just lets it go. But we get into that sin. We don't think at times that God is active. God is active in each moment and situation. Sometimes we think, oh, he's just involved in the big stuff. He's just involved in my salvation, my creation. He's just involved in in the big decisions of life. Who I marry, what job I take. He's he's involved in those things. But these little things, he's not sustaining. Everything to us and to the practical deist, everything is just cause and effect. Rather than the meticulous determination and sustaining work of the Redeemer. This is a grievous sin. We must repent of our idleness in our practical deism. And one of the greatest manifestations of this is when we do not meditate upon the providence of God. When we do not take time to consider the work that God is doing in every moment of our lives. 
whether it is in great prosperity and in joy and in celebration or the depths of affliction and despair. We live as practical deists when we do not consider the wisdom of God that is contrary to the wisdom of man, the foolishness of man. When we do not stop and meditate on the justice of God, when we examine ourselves and we think, is God God disciplining me? Am I receiving the chastening and discipline of God? Is there sin in my life that needs to be repented of? When we do not stop and consider the mercy of God, the things are going our way and we think, what is going on? And we stop and we consider, perhaps God is being merciful to us. He's being kind to us. But instead we just go about our day, think, oh, this happened because... This action preceded it, and it's just cause and effect. This is the natural consequence. Awake up, O sleeper. Christ upholds all things. The sin of self-sufficiency. We do all things in our own strength, rather than depend upon the Almighty God who sustains all things. A grievous sin. God alone has the prerogative of self-sufficiency and aseity. Prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is the ultimate example and the fruit of practical atheism, of practical deism, of self-sufficiency. You want to know if you're, if you're committing these kind of logical worldview sins, look at your prayer life. If we cannot have our next breath apart from the gracious work of the Prince of Peace, Should we not be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving? Let your requests be made known unto God so that the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Christian, do you pray like Christ upholds all things? Do you seek Him for your children? Children, do you seek Him for yourself? Do you seek Him for your provision in your daily bread? Do you seek Him for strength in your tasks, in your work? Do you seek Him for His blessing upon His worship? Or do you presume upon God and your own strength? Thanklessness is another illustration or another fruit of these sins. When we're thankless, we have not given heed to the fact that by him all things consist. Having seen our dependence upon our blessed Savior for all things, not just in salvation, but for our very subsistence, how can we be a thankless people? How can we grumble and complain and murmur against providence? A thankless Christian is a very poor Christian. The Holy Spirit breathes the breath of life into the dry bones, effectually calling the elect through the word. And for this, we shall praise God continually and eternally. But Christ has given to every creature this common grace, breath. And so the psalmist concludes the hymnal of the covenant of grace. Let everything that hath breath praise Jehovah. Do you have breath? It is because... Christ upholds you. Therefore, 
Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Do not be a thankless people. It is not fitting the sustaining work of the Almighty God. Instead, we are to wonder and marvel at the Lord Christ. In our worship and in our scripture meditation, how often it is we look for application rather than to pause for adoration. Worship itself is to be upward, not inward in its attention. Conviction of sin is good, but it is of no use if conviction does not give way to reverence and awe before God. And so the great God of heaven is set before you this day as you know him in Jesus Christ, the mediator. God is the omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, all-blessed, incomparable, incomprehensible, most holy, most just, most merciful, most wise God. We get tired after a, a couple of handful, a handful of hours of work. God has and continues and will continue to uphold all things by the power of his word, and it is nothing to him. We are microscopic worms, a drop in the ocean of time, and God is infinite and eternal. Our hearts are so wicked that we cannot even know the depths of our own depravity, but God is so holy that the angels made out of fire have to hide their faces and their wings from the splendor of his unapproachable light. And this God became salvation for us. He took upon himself our nature. He bore our sins. And even now in glory and in the ascension of Christ, we have the comfort that there in heaven is our very nature. Our very nature united to the Godhead and the God-man that we too by grace through faith shall be partakers of the divine nature and holiness and blessedness. How can we not but adore the Lord our God? In prayer, not only in worship, but in, in private prayer, in family prayer, how quick we are to pass over praise and thanksgiving and only dwell upon our petitions, but it ought not be so. Fathers, as you would lead in family prayer, take time, take a couple attributes of God and give him praise. In our day-to-day lives, we ought to think far less about ourselves. We ought to think not nearly so highly of ourselves, but rather we need to dwell more upon the Lord God and upon the Lord Christ. We ought to wonder and marvel at the Lord's creation. The simple truth is that we in our land are too busy, too busy to stop and enjoy the show of what Calvin called the theater of God's glory. Too busy to stop and hear the song creation sings and exulting over the redemption that awaits it. Too busy to consider both the frightening immensity and the mystery of the heavens or the seas, but also the unfathomable intricacies and smallness of the ant or the atom. Creation should lead us to a more frequent, occasional meditation. And here... The Psalms are so helpful. 
We've sung two of them today and this morning. Psalm 29, which lists through the Lord, the thundering, the shaking, the fire, the deserts that quake, all of these things, making the calves, the hind to calf, all of these things point to us to the glory of God, sustaining all things, the work of Christ sustaining all things. Psalm 104, as we sang, He sends forth water. He gives food. The fowls of the heaven have their habitation. Take time for occasional meditation as the psalmist teaches us and use the psalms, use the scriptures to help you in giving praise because these are the words given to us by God for his praise. We would not know how to praise God by ourselves and so God has given us a book of praises that we should worship him and praise him because he upholds all things. What then is the purpose, secondly, for which Christ upholds all things? What is the purpose for which Christ upholds all things? Well, as we know and have already seen, he does this because he is God. He is the one by whom all things were created. He is Before all things, the eternal word, the Son, the eternal Son of God. But not only does he do this work essentially, he does this work as the mediator, as the God-man. And this is particularly what is brought forth in our passage. By whom all things consist, but why? Well, because, verse 14, in him we have redemption. Verse 18, because he's the head of the church. Verse 20, because he made peace through the blood of his cross. And the two reasons explicitly stated to us in the text, why is it that Christ upholds all things, that all things consist in him? Well, it is because, verse 18, firstly, so that he might have the preeminence that he might have the preeminence. It's here, even on the very front of your bulletin, under the name of this congregation, that in all things, he might have preeminence. Psalm 104, verse 31, which we shall sing shortly, says, The glory of the mighty Lord continue shall forever. The Lord Jehovah shall rejoice in all his works together. Christ upholds all things so that the knowledge and praise of him would fill the earth. This is the same with the kingship of Christ. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, not merely because he is God, but so that all the nations would be taught and baptized into Christ. So that his glory would fill the earth. Same with his sustaining all things. The reason why Christ upholds all things is so that he would have the preeminence. So that we would decrease and he would increase. So that his glory would be made known. That in all things he might have the preeminence, but secondly also to reconcile all things to himself. Again, Psalm 104, verse 30. Thy quickening spirit thou sends forth. 
Then they created be, and then the decayed face renew it is by thee. Why does Christ uphold all things? It is to reconcile all things to himself. All history is moving toward this very moment. As we live in our lives, we often become, like the psalmist says, like a brute beast, looking around, not looking up. Then it is when we look up to the sanctuary, there everything makes sense, because there we have Christ set before us in the gospel. We get anxious and and sin and and we're concerned about uh, how everything is going. We're concerned for our children. We're concerned the state of the church and we wonder where is this going? It is going to this very thing. It is moving toward the reconciling of all things to Christ. It is moving toward the glory of God and Christ filling the earth like the waters covers the seas. And it is moving toward the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting. So that all things, whether in heaven, whether on earth, whether under the earth, shall bow before Christ, confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why he upholds all things. This is why all things are being held together today. It is not merely for your benefit and pleasure. It is for the glory of the Lord Christ. Christ upholds all things so that he would execute his offices as prophet, priest, and king. By him all things consist so that he should be that great prophet, so that he should execute his office as prophet. Remember that Christ, the title Messiah, means the anointed one. Speaking of these anointed offices in the Old Covenant, to which he points, as we read in Ezekiel 44, he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. He upholds all things, he holds all things together, Why? So that creation would continue to declare the glory of God, that the firmament showeth his handiwork, that day unto day they would utter speech, night unto night showeth knowledge, so that there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Christ upholds the immensity of the cosmos. In our foolish day, we think that the universe, the heavens are just infinitely expanding, and that they're infinite, that there's no end. No, they're declaring the glory and faithfulness of God. Jeremiah 31, 37, Thus saith the Lord, If heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. What is the point of the immensity of the heavens? It's so that you would know God is faithful to his covenant of grace. It's declaring Christ upholds the cosmos, the heavens, so that we would know his faithfulness. May the church again, as in former times, become enamored by meditating on the sermon preached by nature. 
by the by natural revelation so that even boys and girls would see a crayon drop to the ground and then ask why this happens and be told in reply that everything falls down to the ground because every creature is being reconciled to bow before Christ. Why does Christ uphold all things so that he would be the great prophet preaching through that book of natural revelation, but also so that Christ through the ministers of his church would continue to preach the word of God? He upholds all things, not so churches can be lazy, not so ministers can be lazy or elders or Christians be lazy, but so that he would preach his word. Christ upholds all things that he would execute his office as a priest. Things continue on rather than being burned to the ground by the will and the work of Christ so that the lost should be saved. Romans 2.4 Dost thou despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. There shall be a day when all things unravel and dissolve before the fervency of the heat of Christ's coming. But the reason that this is not today, that this has not happened yet, is because he is filling up the measure of his Elect. He is drawing his elect to himself. His goodness leads us to repentance. Christ upholds all things that he should execute his office as king. He's executing his office as king. He upholds all things, but he does allow his enemies to unravel. He continues the course of history so that his enemies should be subdued under his feet, whether by their conversion or through their destruction. Psalm 110 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. The king of heaven upheld the stars so that the stars in their courses would fight against Sisera. The Caesars of Rome were broken into pieces as a salad devoured by the Lord Christ. The Ottoman Empire was sustained so that it would become the Ottoman of the seated Christ, an earthly footstool for his feet. Things continue and progress so that all of the enemies of Christ would be put under the feet of Christ in the expansion of his kingdom of grace. For the request of the Son has been granted by the Father. Ask and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. All things in heaven and on earth have been given to him. To expand his kingdom of grace and to prepare for his kingdom of glory when cometh the end and he has delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and earthly and authority and power, for he must reign. 
Christ must reign. He must uphold all things so that he must reign until all of his enemies have put, been put under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed then is death. Christ upholds all things so that he should execute his, prof, his office of prophet, priest, and king as the mediator. We must then repent. We must repent for taking for granted Christ upholding all things. The Lord Christ does not uphold all things so that we would mindlessly go through our lives, but so that in all things he would have preeminence. The Lord Christ does not uh, uphold all things so that we would continue in our sins, but to reconcile all things to himself. Instead, we must look to Him with faith and repentance. If you hear His voice today, harden not your heart. As in the day of temptation in the wilderness. This is the one set before you. This is the one who died for sinners, who rose from the grave. This is the one who calls, Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You're unraveling from your sins. You're under the weight. You feel as if you're not being upheld. Christ is upholding you that you should come to Him this very day. And you who have come unto Christ, take great comfort. This text is a great comfort in the providence of God that through your prosperity, through affliction, you together as a congregation, the corporate character of the church, that you together through prosperity and affliction, that we would know that by Christ all things consist. May you give glory to God this day. And may God bless his word to us. Let us stand.